Hello and welcome back to the Sala podcast. I'm Christina from Sala and I'm joined today by Britt Burton from the Centre of Democracy and South Australian living artist Sarah Waters. Today we're recording at the Adelaide Central School of Art, which is on Ghana land, and I would like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So, if we could do a few introductions, and I might start with Britt, if you could give us a little bit about (laughs) what your role is at the Centre of Democracy, and what the Centre of Democracy does, that would be really amazing. Okay, no worries. Um, So, so my name's Britt Burton, and I'm the Public Programs Coordinator for the Centre of Democracy and the History Trust of South Australia. We're an overarching um, organisation, government-based organisation that cares for the state's history collections. So we also manage the South Australian Maritime Museum in Port Adelaide, the National Motor Museum in Birdwood and the Migration Museum in the city. But the Centre of Democracy is a, a special beast. Um, we're a collaboration with the State Library of South Australia and we opened in 2017 in May. And uh, we're a small gallery located in the Institute building on the corner of North Terrace and Kintour Avenue. And we're a really interesting um, little gallery museum we like to think that we're home to some big ideas some complex histories and some difficult conversations so while we're a very small space we like to um, try and engage with different communities and do projects outside of the gallery to encourage people to get active in their citizenship and to learn about democracy in South Australia and its history. Wonderful and Sarah um, you're an essay artist I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a background on your practice and what it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've been practising for almost 20 years or 20 years or maybe a little bit more even um, based here in Adelaide. Uh, My practice has taken on many forms, but most recently I've um, completed my PhD a year and a bit ago about uh, the history, a look at history in South Australia through my own family history and I call that genealogical ghostscape. So I was looking at uh, the the legacies and the inheritances um, that have come from my settler colonial ancestry and you know obviously lots of those are very problematic. Um, there's dark sides to that but there's also um, you know it's very nuanced and complex and knotty and so I'm a generally um, make using textiles and so I spend a lot of time using thread and knots and um, found materials that have come out of other people's homes and domestic uh, have domestic links to kind of talk back to this history and this past. Wonderful. Now I know that the Centre of Democracy has a wonderful Sala event this year called Stitch and Resist and it's all about craftivism. And craftivism often is used to facilitate change and discuss important political issues. I was wondering if, um, Britt, you could talk to us initially about what craftivism is. Oh, sure. So craftivism as a term was allegedly crafted by a lady called Betsy uh, Greer in 2003 to talk about how craft practices can be activist-driven. But generally, most um, envisage craftivism as a form of non-violent, peaceful or gentle activism that usually involves some sort of digital engagement as well. So people sit at home or in their workplace or whatever and they craft and then they share that online with the masses as well. So, yeah, it's a really fun way to uh, be an activist, I guess. <laughs> That's amazing. And that really feeds into your practice, Sarah, because earlier this year, um, actually you've done quite a few projects this year that have involved community engagement, but one of the earliest ones that I can remember is the um, essay Artists for Climate Action, um, which was done through Instagram. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and how that feeds into craftivism? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, with a group of fellow artists, um, we were all despairing and it was last year, um, I think, you know, while I have made work about this settler colonial history, I think it goes back or it links very deeply into climate change and a lot of the, um, the you know, devastation we're seeing um, kind of evolving at the moment. And so these friends and I got together and we were just, you know, what what can we do as artists where we're... we're uh, not scientists, um, how can we use our skills to uh, propel change? And so we got together and we started Climate Badges. Uh, and so if you hashtag that on Instagram, you can join in. We welcome people to join in at any time. And we encourage people to make a badge that they could send to a climate hero, somebody who, whether it's through um, politics or science or media or music however um, that we could say to them you're doing a great job keep going Um, and I guess we were really thinking in that craftivist mode of um, how to um, be really positive rather than you know, I guess sometimes activism can and can be about waving a banner, and and I just I guess we were questioning how much change that actually makes, and so we wanted to address people that were already really fighting for change and keep them going, even if it's just for a week longer. <laughs> it keeps them going. Absolutely, and that really feeds into this stitch and resist yeah. project. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that and the sort of roles that community and activism play. Yeah, it's um really important because we felt a bit the same as well and not everyone feels comfortable out on the streets holding a sign and yelling and protesting in the traditional kind of way. Um, So we really wanted this project to be as inclusive as possible and given now that COVID has arrived, um, you know, some of us don't feel comfortable going out on the streets and protesting. So this is a really great way that other people can get involved from home wherever they feel safe and comfortable to participate and still contribute to these important issues that a lot of people face. So yes, Stitch and Resist was actually um, the brainchild of our manager Nikki Sullivan and she got really inspired after reading a book written by artist and craftivist Tao Fitzpatrick from Melbourne, you might know Sarah. Um, So she wrote a book called Craftivism uh, Manifesto um, Methodology and we've actually been in contact with Tao and worked with Tao a lot to start this project and that's been really fantastic. So we started off in March, pre-COVID, um, <laughs> and we were all prepared to go out and start workshops and all that kind of thing. And then, of course, obviously we couldn't, so we had to completely rethink how we approached it. So originally we were just going to encourage community groups and individuals to get on board with cross-stitching. We decided to choose cross-stitch um, because it was a fairly basic beginner kind of textile craft that everyone can get involved with. I dabbled with it as a child. I can badly knit and I can't crochet. Um, So I was like, excellent, cross-stitch is fantastic. I went home at Christmas and got a little pack from Spotlight and off I went. And so we thought that's a good way to get people going. It's very simple to teach. Um, And then, yeah, it kind of grew from there. We have joined with many different organisations about their messaging. But then, of course, when COVID hit, we changed. So instead, we decided to focus our questions on how do we continue to resist injustice, engage in the everyday practice of democracy and take care of our well-being in the midst of a pandemic. So that's where we have now swivelled and the pieces that we are um, receiving for our online gallery are really reflecting some of those really important causes, which is fantastic. So That's amazing. And I think that's something that is interesting and a common thread across both of these projects is the use of social media. So um, Sarah, I know that 
the artist for climate action was mainly on Instagram with a little bit of crossover into Facebook. And you also uh, started the survivalist sampler movement on Instagram. And you are having a, I believe it's sort of a website that has, that shows all yeah. the different yeah. uh, contributions of the community. Can you talk about why you think social media might be a really good um, a way of displaying these craftivism um, projects, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, well, for us, you know, we always plan to run workshops and, um, you know, badge making workshops and things alongside of social media, but social media becomes that, again, very democratic way of sharing this information far and wide and also of, um, I guess, uh, perpetuating it as well. So that when, for us, we were thinking when people receive a climate badge, we ask the recipients to post a photo of them wearing their badge. And we've had amazing responses from people uh, you know, Nikki Cumpston, a local person, but also David Attenborough mm. writing a letter back oh, wow. and that was posted online and that propels more and more enthusiasm for the project and shows the, I guess, the reach. But at the same time, we too had to really change our methods with the outbreak of coronavirus and Survivalist mm. Sampler in particular was going to be an in-person um, uh, collaborative work or community-based work that was starting here actually at Adelaide Central School of Art with the exhibition Drastic Fabric and I was inviting people to come and sit with me and and stitch think you know I guess hopeful hopeful ways forward um, for the future and then when coronavirus broke out and we were all at home at that stage I switched it to Instagram and again that has been a wonderful move people from as far as New Zealand and Tasmania and Cairns and um, the UK have have joined in that project. Yeah, I agree. I think Instagram is a fantastic platform for this kind of thing, given it's a very visual platform. Um, and we found a bit the same as well, that we've had submissions from the States, from the UK, from Amsterdam, from India, which we were quite surprised about. We Initially, we were going to focus purely on South Australian issues. But yeah, we've widened our scope and we're getting submissions from everywhere. So it's really fascinating to see what things are different and what things are similar to people around the world. So yeah, it's been really good. Mm. And that's really interesting as well because both of you have started off with, I suppose, a more specific community in mind to work with, whether it be um, South Australian artists or whether it be just the South Australian community and both of them have sort of reached wider and more broadly. Um, I suppose how important is, A, both the community aspect in this and, B, how do you choose what community you want to start with? We had a few original communities in mind for our Stitch and Resist project, but we also wanted to cast the net far and wide. So we've been working, we've got a long-term relationship with uh, Wellbeing SA, used to be the SA Mental Health Commission, with the Queer Youth Group, uh, Dropping Group, Multicultural Communities and Successful Communities, Welcoming Australia, which is a refugee support group. So we've had submissions from many of those people. We've also had submissions from, we've approached some groups, for example, um, Shelter SA, who are really keen to get involved but didn't have necessarily the community relationship that some of the other groups do. Um, so they went out to their communities and or people they were involved with and got some messaging and then they fed the messaging back to us. So we've actually got people to stitch other people's messages for those who don't feel comfortable stitching or don't have time to stitch or don't want to stitch. So we've had that in a few um, examples and yeah, so it's been... It's been really nice to see how it's spontaneously grown and other mm. communities have gone, oh, this group might be interested and this group might be interested. So it's kind of spread organically, which is really quite nice. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think for us, we're you know SA artists um, for climate action. So it it I kind of it starts with us. Mm. And I should mention, um, you know, my fellow uh, SA artists are Zoe Freeney and Tamara Bailey and Sue Kneebone and Deirdre But Hussein. But we've we kind of you know very much opened that up to uh, the more general community as well. Um, so it starts with us and our concerns kind of spreading out but we did also get um, help from NAVA who's you know the national body for visual arts to spread the word and so it is a a project that has a scope across Australia and internationally Um, yeah and we also we do though I must say take very much an interest in local issues we did a fundraiser after the bushfires on Kangaroo Island to uh, directly um, contribute funds to dealing with feral cats which is not a nice thing mm. to think about but unfortunately you know they would prey on a lot of um, endangered animals so um, yeah we've we've kind of turned our attention to local issues as well as broad issues that affect Australian and international communities as well. That's fantastic. And both of you have really chosen textile. Like Wildcraft is is such a broad um, umbrella that can fit so many things. Both of you have landed on textiles as a way of engaging the community and and transporting messages. Um, How did you land on textiles? How did you choose that as the thing to to do? Um, I think for us it was uh, Nikki's desire to... Um, I think she was really inspired by some of the literature that she'd already read around craftivism and that's where that had come from. And it's, I was just thinking personally, it's really nice to have a creative outlet. I don't necessarily have any creative hobbies, but I was feeling like I wanted one and I wanted something to be able to to do with my hands because I really enjoyed that at school. So yeah, and it's something... You feel a bit more connected to the message because you've got that time to sit down and um, I'm not a fast sewer by any means, so it takes me months (laughs) to do one piece. So I've got to sit there and think about what I'm doing and the message that I'm, you know, putting out there and there's a real sense of pride when you finish a piece and Mm. you can put it up and go, this is what I've made and this is what I'm passionate about. And, yeah, it's a lot more personable, I think. Yeah, tactile kind of thing. Yeah, oh, it's such a multifaceted question for me because <laughs> I, I am, you know, mainly use textiles in my art practice. And I guess to talk away from climate badges in a way because we just mm. asked people to use whatever skills that they had to make a badge. And if I talk more to the survivalist sampler project, for me, you know, samplers have a very long history for women, particularly in girls. It was used to educate girls, particularly, and if I'm looking at um, early South Australian history, Uh, It was a Victorian practice um, to educate girls in the alphabet, but also very much into morals and religion um, as well. So sometimes people broke out of that and they used that sampler to talk back to those um, conventions and also express themselves in a way that they may not have had um, in any other aspect of their life. So I was thinking of that in terms of samplers and stitching uh, and how we can use that to... uh, say what we want to say and that probably into an object or um, textile that will live on beyond our lives so they really speak of this time and I think there is a real uh, I keep using the word democratic (laughs) but there really is to a thread and a bit of fabric it's available to everybody in many ways to do and to use their own language and it's kind of like handwriting however people stitch comes out in as their own expression and I think more so I was thinking about this just the other day this is the time of home craft. When we are stuck mm. at home, we can't necessarily gather other materials or be in a studio or 
you know, we can we can often have a needle and a thread or some kind of textile material around us that we can repurpose and express how we're feeling at this time. So I think that's really powerful. I think textiles have a real place for this time. And um, it's fascinating how uh, creative you can be if you don't have the traditional materials at hand. Um, we found some fantastic examples of artists that have cross-stitched and embroidered on, you know, household kitchen sieves and car bonnets and fencing and you can use anything that you've got lying around the house. We really wanted this project to be sustainable so we collected a lot of our supplies from op shops. I never realised how good op shops were for sewing supplies and even online we've been getting a lot of second-hand donations and things from people. We just put a call out saying oh we'd love some some of your bits that you've got lying around and we've had masses of we've had people from interstate send us packages which is fantastic and then we can then bundle them up and send them out to our communities who don't have access or the means to get to get some crafting equipment as well so it's been really great and just on your point Sarah about um it's a Victorian way of you know women to learn about samplers we've got some fantastic and some beautiful samplers in our collection but we found a story of um I think a woman in must have been the UK and I'm not sure what era it was it was like 16 or 1700s and she as a young girl had embroidered her diary Mm. And it's just this massive wow. big thing of all just her life and that was just her project to keep herself going and that's how she decided to do it. Like, that takes a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that the one in the red text? Yes. Yes, yes. yeah, that's a very, very famous yeah, um, yeah. sampler in a way. It was amazing yeah. for me to, to discover. I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. That's so incredible. Mm. And across both projects, have you seen common themes emerge? Um, you know, things that people are particularly worried about or, or wanting to talk about at this time? Um, I think we've we've definitely seen uh, when coronavirus started, we saw an influx of uh, stay the f at home pieces. <laughs> so we do have a little uh, you know rude word warning on our website for a couple of the pieces. Um, but it has we've definitely had a lot of climate change pieces as well, a lot of uh, women's movement pieces. There's a great one that I love that says. My favourite season is the fall of the patriarchy with some like autumn leaves around it. Um, so yeah, we've had definitely there are some themes coming through some of the popular ones, but yeah, it's a good mixed bag of different emotions and passions. So mm, definitely, yeah, it's very similar with the survivalist samplers online as well. Um, people stitching masks. You know, I guess the the intent behind the survivalist sampler is to. Uh, again find your way through this time so Mm. I guess they're often reflective of this time so picking up on the language you know social distancing is a term that we hadn't really heard used that often before now so just kind of recording the changes that we're witnessing but also ways through somebody um, one of the stitchers I think based in New Zealand is very powerfully stitching the names of people who have died from coronavirus in her country so you know that's wow. yeah it's um confronting as well so it is very much a, a brutal record of now but a way through and I think that's the main thing I think in this time of you know not only are we experiencing eco grief we're also experiencing the grief of such a drastic change in our lives this is a way of people to focus in and to stitch what they're feeling definitely and especially on behalf of um for us, the Centre of Democracy and the History Trust of South Australia. I know many people think of museums as looking after what, you know, the old things, but it's part of our role and our duty as an organisation to do contemporary collecting as well. We need to be documenting what's happening now. We need to be, you know, collecting 
relevant items um, from marches and protests and um, other different things. So I've had a few people donate masks that they've made and that kind of thing. And our original plan for this exhibition was to collect these pieces in person and then to put on a, a physical exhibition um, early next year, um, which hopefully will still be an ultimate goal in a year or so maybe. Mm. Um, but for now, it's more of an online record of what's, what's happening right now. Do you know, that is so pleasing to hear because I was just <laughs> reading last night about the, the suffragette banners uh, from yes. the UK, yep. you know, about the 1910s, that kind of era. None of them survive yeah. or very few of them survive because even though they were given to collections, they weren't deemed worthy to mm. survive because they were, you know, I use inverted commas, women's work or mm, um, yes. feminine expressions. So, you know, we've come so far as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, lot of things missing from the record from women and children and other minority groups that weren't deemed uh, important enough to keep. So, but we can learn from our mistakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is such wonderful news. And it's interesting how this project can be adapted because, Sarah, I know that you're working with the Walkway Gallery and Riddock Gallery to do a project... Um, reflecting on Mount Gambia. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's called Telling Tales and it's um, looking at the whole Limestone Coast region. So really from Walkway Gallery in Bordertown all the way down to Mount Gambia. And so uh, that's another, has a life on Facebook and Instagram, but um, what we're doing is... um, asking people to contact those galleries if they want to be involved and they get sent a pack. Again, lots of found materials, found threads. Um, they are new needles, I will add, because <laughs> they, so they're nice and sharp for stitching that we send out to people who have some kind of connection to that place, whether it's current or um, in their past, and to stitch a tail. Because I, I guess the underlying kind of drive behind that project is often official histories of places don't always get into the intricacies of what that means to live in a place and those strange tales or those those things that you only know if you live there so we're asking for people to um, stitch these stories and so an artist um, Joe Fife who's based in Mount Gambia and myself are then going to work with uh, the contributions and turn it into a bigger artwork and I must add here that Country Arts SA has been wonderful in supporting this project. Fantastic. And have you got plans to do something similar or a similar project down the track? I suppose it's a bit hard to know without being able to look into the future. (laughs) So with my History uh, Trust hat on, um, we also um, have the South Australian History Network, which encompasses many, many, many rural um, and regional museums and community history groups um, and people like that. Um, So we work with them um, regularly. And so, um, yes, it is. It's, I'm from a country area myself and mm. you know, it's the stories that you have growing up in a country area that no one else will know unless you live there and then you've got a point of context. But, yeah, we're really hoping to work with some of those um, rural communities and regional communities because often even in the small museums, they have beautiful examples of these kinds of samplers or other um, women's work, for want of a better word, um, the CWA springs to mind. Um, and we're also, um, the Embroiderers Guild of South Australia has also come on board to help us learn the correct stitching and she told me off because I did not do it properly and you never to look at the back of my pieces. <laughs> never look at the back of mine either. Never look at the back is the golden rule. Um, but yes, now we're hoping um, in the next six to 12 months to really work with some more of those uh, local communities and help get them on board. I bought yes. some bits in to show, oh, show cool. and tell for this visual medium of podcasts. 
One of the girls at work did this one. Oh, wow. That's very neat. And this is one that Nikki did about um, like housing. Nikki also did this one about the Black Lives Matter as well. Oh, um, great. Which is really mm. pertinent and just mm. really powerful. Riots, not diets. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> this is the ones I finished off of the, the friends. Oh, friends, well, yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good to be able to laugh at this shit. It year, is, and it's it? nice to have some like humorous yeah, things in there as well, yeah. so it's not all doom and gloom, but... That's it, and I think that's one of the nice things is it does allow for people's self-expression, which um, might seem like a, a silly thing to say on an arts podcast, but, <laughs> you know, when you think about craftivism and, and activism, it can be quite stringent and, you know, just getting across a message, mm. but those examples show how sort of... And it can be very overwhelming as well. Yeah. If someone, you know, yeah. said, you want to be involved, but you're not sure what you want to stitch or how you're going to do it or any of this, this gets a bit hard. And if you only get one chance to say things, like say you're making a banner, it's only like one chance to say something. There's so much pressure to kind of put it there. Whereas smaller works, I find like even myself, like smaller works, I'm freer to like bit of this, bit of that. And it's Mm. much more about real life, I think, the complexity. I think one of the things that perhaps surprised me but didn't surprise me is just how engaged and active the online craft community is. It just blew my mind once I started, you know, when we started our Facebook page and we started following other groups. There are so many and so many people are doing this. It's not just a handful of, you know, people in corner. It's worldwide and it's rife. WIP Wednesdays, like Work in Progress Wednesdays, is just <laughs> insane. It's like, oh my God, look how much amazing things these people are doing. And they seem to be very supportive groups. And someone's like, oh, I can't figure out this. And if someone's like, oh, I'll try this, this and this. And yeah, it's absolutely so such a lovely community and a lot of sass behind it as well, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. I think that's um, what I've been surprised at as well. Like when I did, you know, kind of pivot, I hate that word, but pivot from the gallery to the online version of Survivalist Sampler, just, yeah, hundreds of people came out of the woodwork and just like, yes, I want to join in. And I feel like, like I said before, craft is really having its time with people at home wanting to put this energy somewhere and in a positive way as well and a hopeful way. I mean, we are facing a lot of um, challenges, but I think with that human ingenuity and that hope and that care, I think care for me is the key word of people looking after each other and working together and, and something like Instagram in this case has allowed that to happen. Sarah, if people want to get involved in your projects from the essay Artists for Climate Change um, or the Spiveless Sampler or the beautiful telling tales that you're doing at the Riddock and Walkway Galleries, um, how can they get involved? And if they're not an artist or don't see themselves as an artist, how can they participate still? If they're not an artist, all the better. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, you know, these are very open projects for people to participate in. It's um, not necessarily about having the finest skills or looking at the back of your stitching or anything (laughs) like that. It's about joining in and having a go. And I 
like I said, if if you can write, generally I think you can stitch because it's, it's really about mark making, just remembering to knot off the thread on the back so it doesn't come <laughs> unraveled. That's all. Um, but if people want to join in, they could follow me on Instagram and they'll see some posts and links there or send me a message um, that way. And if you want to get involved in the telling tales, um, if you have a tale from the Limestone Coast, contact the Riddock Art Gallery or the Walkway um, Art Gallery in Bordertown as well and they can send you out a pack from there but I'm always open to responding to messages from people. Wonderful and you can find the Telling Tales listing in the Sala program just search Telling Tales and that will give you all the information to get involved with that particular project and Britt how do we get involved with Stitch and Resist? Uh, similar kind of thing um, we're obviously in the Sala program which is fantastic um, and then um, just stitchandresist.com is our website and we've got all the information people need there from um, examples on our gallery from free patterns if people need them to other tools and resources that they can use and a whole blurb about us and then they can always email us as well and our contact details are there and we're more than happy to work with them as an individual or a community provide them with packs of stuff if they need it and yeah we'd love to have the more the merrier basically wonderful well thank you so much Britt from the Centre of Democracy and Sarah Waters our lovely South Australian artist it's been so good to talk to you both about the projects that you've had going on um, this last year and over the Sala Festival and we look forward to seeing everything you have in store in future thank you very much Thank you, Christina, and thank you, Sala. And thank you to Adelaide Central School of Art for hosting us today.